Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm here on Bird Street 65. Thanks for tuning in early in the morning, getting up with us. Us being a little bit of a different duo today, using the Mac and Mac guys. And Johnny Mac will be on a little later. But joining me, Johnny Mac, is my bud Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports. In a minute, Mr. Kerr, how did your week go last week? Uh, you know what, Johnny? I-, I can't complain too much about it. I mean, I got to cover an NFL game for the first time in two years, did the Ravens nice. and the Chargers. It- Fun time, I'll say that. And oh, by the way, the Ravens uh, kind of beat up on the Chargers, brought them back down to earth a little bit. Uh, and I do want to talk about teams with four or two records and or better because Eagles are facing one this week. I'll, I'll hold off on that because I want to get your impressions on big story over the last, now it's almost a full week. When the Eagles last week, after their game against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which you and I have not yet talked about yet, um, but after the game, day after, morning after, it became uh, common knowledge that Zach Ertz had been traded to the Arizona Cardinals for a fifth-round pick and a uh, young corner who hadn't been able to break through the Arizona lineup just yet, but a guy who the Eagles actually liked in last year's draft. Um, what did you think of the deal? What did you think of Zach Ertz and how he's handled himself since he became an ex-Eagle? Well, First impressions were, and this is before he was traded. I was up at, you know, 3, 3.30 in the morning, and I saw he posted something on his Instagram and looked like a goodbye post. And I'm like, Zach Ertz knows something we don't know yet. And, you know, eight hours later, it was revealed he was traded. And to the Arizona Cardinals, and again, I'm happy for Zach. I'm happy he has a chance to go win a Super Bowl with, with what has become a really good football team. I mean, Arizona's just beating the snozz out of everybody right now. And this was without their head coach last week. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, what was it? Mark Whipple's son, um, is, you know, he called the plays last week, did an excellent job there. But Arizona, they don't feature their tight end much. But I think it's a little different this year because, one, Max Williams was getting the ball a, a little bit more. He was more for blocking purposes. But now you got receiving tight end and Zach Ertz. You got a guy who Kyler Murray can go underneath. So I think Zach Ertz, I think there's a lot of good football left to be played with Zach Ertz. I thought he played well Thursday night. He was open on a bunch of routes. Jalen just couldn't get him the ball. So uh, overall, I, I'm really happy for Zach. I love the way he handled it. He did not have to come speak to Philly media after he was traded. And uh, to me, that was as professional and as first class as you can get. And Zach has always been first class with me. I told John McMullen a story about us back in 2016. Uh, I've had a really good relationship with Zach Ertz for a long time. And, you know, I, I thought it was awesome. Uh, Mark 
Mark Farzetta, you know, is helping out the Yurtz Family Foundation as well. So overall, it's, you know what, the guy's full of class. I hope he gets in our Super Bowl. And I told any Eagles fan this, go to your local retail store, see if you can get his Ackerts jersey a little cheaper than before because he's going to be like Brian Dawkins. You can wear it forever. That's true. Going down to the games, nobody is going, why the hell are you wearing an Ertz jersey after he's gone? And in addition to that, and Zach said this the other day, uh, when he did address the media in a classy way, as you correctly described, who knows? Maybe he comes back someday. And that's always wishful thinking with about, oh, 95, 98% of the players who, uh, when they leave, don't ever get the chance to come back. And I'm not counting the, like, Shady McCoy one-day signing just so they can say they're resigning as a uh, player with a specific team. No, I'm talking about playing again. I'm not dismissing the possibility that he could come back. It's got to be a minimum of two years down the road because he's going to go free agent during the offseason. I don't think he's coming back here, although there is a minute possibility if Mr. Goddard goes and signs somewhere else, maybe he comes back as the tight end one. When he comes back to the Eagles, the chances are it's going to have to be his tight end two, but he is those just 11 receptions away from catching Harold Carmichael as the Eagles all-time receiver. And he did uh, bring it to everyone's attention at his press gathering. So I would not be completely dismissive of the fact that we may see Zach Ertz in an Eagle uniform again. Yeah, I think down the road we will. Uh, personally, he, obviously he's going to be a free agent this offseason. I think he's going to like Arizona enough that he stays there maybe another year, maybe another two with that Super Bowl window open for them. And again, I don't think this is just a one and done thing for the Cardinals, even in that loaded division. I mean, they're going to be good for a couple years here. And I think Zach Ertz will want to embrace being a veteran leader with JJ Watt, with Chandler Jones, with AJ Green, all those guys. I think he'll want to be part of that. So I think he'll stick around there maybe another year or two. And then down the road, you know, Zach Ertz could be 34, 35 and say, you know what? I want to go after this record. I, I want to go after and actually finish my career in Philadelphia, play a season, play play another year, play another two. And Tony Gonzalez told me, Zachary's got about five or six good years left of football in him. You know, he is far from being done if he's utilized correctly. And, yeah, I could definitely see Zachary's back here. I, I would love to see him break Harold Carmichael's record. I know it's a real sacred record. And, I, again, the Eagles don't have a lot of, like, big – how can I say they don't have a lot of big records, you know, they don't have like the, the quarterback who's thrown for 40,000 yards in his career. They don't have the running back who's run for 10,000 yards in his career. They don't have a receiver that's had 10,000 receiving yards in his career. And they really one of the hardest ones to break was Carmichael's record and 580 some isn't that high. And if he meant what he said the other day, and I have no reason to doubt him um, other than others have said it before and, not necessarily held up their end of the bargain. I think Zach Ertz is a little bit different than other guys who have left Philadelphia when supposedly they had big ties here. He did say this is home now, and there's no better way to come home and put on a uniform, still get paid to play a little football, maybe set a record in a franchise uh, way. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll cling to that, that somewhere down the road we could see the return of Zach Ertz. Uh, the other thing that Zach Ertz trade meant to me, Jeff, and I, I do want to get your take on this. The Eagles basically announced that they're sellers this season. I know Harry Roseman did what he had to do after he stepped to the mic after Zach Gertz did and said, well, no, we don't look at ourselves as sellers. This is just a chance for us to uh, give some other players at that position a chance. Stop. 
Just stop, Howie. I know you got to say it, but he said it with such conviction as if he really meant it. No, when you're giving up a guy who is still contributing pretty mightily for you and you get a reserve cornerback who the Arizona Cardinals deactivated every week of the season and a future fifth-round draft pick, you are absolutely taking a step back this year. I'm sorry. There's no two ways about it. It was a sell, and that's fine. If they're in a transition year, Jeff Lurie said it before they even started, and if that's going to be the case going forward, I would have tried to wait one more week with the Raider game this week, see if they win this one. They lose this one, now they're 2-5. and five. Yeah, you're probably pretty screwed. Um, but they decided to do it. I'm sure a lot had to do with Arizona pushing them, saying, listen, we need a tight end upgrade now. We got an injury now. We need to get this deal done now. If you want to... Uh, do a deal with us. Our offer's on the table, but you got to do it now. Uh, they probably pressured the Eagles into making the deal on uh, the given day that they did last week. But I, I, I was somewhat put off by Howie Roseman being as outspoken as he was that they're not selling. Oh, yeah, they are. And guess what? They'll make another deal. They'll trade off another. They, uh, there is a chance that they'll move uh, their now backup left tackle, Mr. Dillard, who's back on the bench where he belongs. Uh, Derek Barnett, who hasn't played well all year for me, hadn't really played well all that often for me. Um, and yes, I'm ready to move on from him. There's a couple guys on this team that could be dealt in the continued sell-off by the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you think I have the right read on this? And if I do, you got a problem with it. Well, one, you do have the right read on it. And two, no, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, honestly, Jody. And this is how I'm looking at the situation. So, this is, as a media member, sometimes you're thinking in the back of your head when Howie Roseman says those comments, well, we're not sellers. You mean to tell me if someone offers you a second-round pick for Darius Slay, you're not going to take it? I mean, seriously, you're, like, you're just going to just leave it on the table? No, you're going to trade that type of player. It's just the way it is right now, and I agree with you. Uh, I don't know who will want Derek Barnett. The guy doesn't have a sack in six games this year. He's just but outside of the Carolina game. He has not played well, and – you already made your decision. You're going to keep Josh Sweat. So I don't think Derek Barnett's coming back here. Uh, Andre Dillard, I think you can actually get a pretty decent price for Andre Dillard. He did not play bad in the starts he had. But, you know, he's back on the bench now. And do you really want to rot this guy? No, I don't think so. And I think there's a couple other guys on one-year deals you can get rid of. Uh, I, I honestly – he's not going to get traded. But I don't think Eric Wilson lasts the season here. I, I don't. I, I think they'll move on from him. His snap count's reducing. So is Alex Singleton, for that matter. This is a team that they're in transition. And I think at the beginning of the year, they thought, okay, maybe we have a shot at the NFC East. We could be competitive. But I'm saying to myself, too, at the end of the day, what does 8-9, and 7-10 get you? The, it, it saves Nick Sirianni's job, sure. But they're 2-4 and four like I thought they'd be. But it just I, – I don't know. There's something wrong with – the head coach, with the defensive coordinator, with Jalen Hurts, it just doesn't feel right. And again, like, you know, if they beat uh, Vegas, okay, they're three and four. They're they're in a playoff hunt technically, but I don't think this team's a playoff team. I don't think this team can win a Super Bowl. So why not trade these veterans? And football, you can rebuild quickly. Like, if they take the 2021 season to rebuild and have those first-round draft picks in 2022 – clear up the salary cap space, get a roster, you can win 10, 11 games next year. 
And John and I have been discussing this on the show over, oh, shoot, all the way uh, back to probably week two of the season. The fact that the Eagles don't throw the ball over the middle much. One thing that Zach Ertz being elsewhere does, it gives a clear path that Dallas got it as the Eagles tight end one. He's going to be playing much more significant number of snaps. Uh, I don't think he's going to be pulled for Jack Stoll altogether too often. God is going to be out there plenty. The Eagles have been negotiating with him, trying to get a deal done, trying to get him extended, trying to lock him in, and they haven't been able to do so yet. So it'll give you a good read on uh, how much Goddard can get the job done without Zach Ertz's help. He may flourish and get more. He may come back at about the same with that many more snaps. And one of the issues is where he's best is dead in the middle of the field with his big size and ability to shake off anybody trying to cover him. But the Eagles don't throw the ball over the middle. And how many tosses is Dallas Goddard really going to get over the middle? John gave some stats the other day that 3% of the Eagles' plays have been passes between the hash marks this year. 3% is a pretty damn small number. Um, Dallas Goddard, tight end one. Do you think they can get something done? Can they get a deal done? And if so... You have the fear that maybe the Eagles would be overpaying for a good tight end, a very good tight end. He's not a great tight end. And if you're going to make him one of the highest paid tight ends in football, I'm not sure that's very good cap management. Yeah. So I always look at Dallas Goddard and he's not at this level. He's better, but I'm going to compare him anyway. LJ Smith, former second round pick like Dallas Goddard. Everybody thought he was going to be the future tight end. He was going to be better than Chad Lewis. He was going to be, you know, going to be an end of, you know, a, a huge weapon in this Eagles offense. LJ Smith didn't do much. Dallas Goddard is better than LJ Smith, but in today's game with tight ends, is he Travis Kelsey? No. Is he Mark Andrews? No. Is he Darren Waller? No. Um, is he Austin Hooper? Yes. And Austin Hooper gets paid a lot of money to not do much. He's a non-factor in the Cleveland Browns offense. David Njoku is better than Austin Hooper. That's what I'm afraid of. You're going to pay Dallas Goddard, Austin Hooper money, and he's just going to be a 40-catch, 500-yard, five-touchdown guy. And Jody, that's not good enough. They need more out of Dallas Goddard. So I think these next couple games, and I think Howie Roseman said this perfectly, we are going to basically evaluate and see if he's worth the money he thinks he is. And he has his chance now. He doesn't have the handcuff, and Zach Herb's holding him back. And uh, we got a uh, good comment from one of our streamers here on Birds 365. Joe Whip was going to be brought something up. I was just about to bring up. You know, Dallas Guard still isn't cleared to play this week. They did trade Zach Ertz. He is still in the COVID protocol. There was talk last week that there was an outside chance he could actually play in Thursday's game against Tampa. If he had gotten the two uh, negative tests, uh, then he could have played on game day, found out that he was actually cleared and be uh, able to play. He did not. Uh, so uh, that was not the case. But we're now several days after that, and he has not been cleared from the protocol. Well, he hasn't necessarily been in the building because the short week that the Eagles had last week led itself to a nice long downtime this week. Extra practice? No, the NFL has rules against that. You can't actually have extra practice. The coach can come in and brainstorm that much more, but the players get to stay home. I'm hoping that's the case here, Jeff, that he just hasn't taken any tests because 
He hasn't been in the facility and they haven't been able to. I'm sure they could ask him, can you come in and at least take a test so we know for sure you're going to be able to play. But as of right now, he's still not eligible to play this week. Yeah, and that's the thing, Jody. Like, this could be a non-story in, you know, six, seven hours from now because the Eagles could say, hey, Dallas Goddard is right. He's clear. So, yeah, you're right. They haven't been in the building since, I guess, Friday morning. They might have been in the building. I, I don't even know if they were in the building Friday morning. So, it, it's been almost a full week now. And like you said, it's a mini-buy. These players, they, they kind of got the weekend off to refresh their bodies. And, I mean, Dallas Scott, when did he get – Placed on the list. It was last Tuesday, right? So it's been like eight days, eight nine days, something like that. So, yeah, I, I think not... it. I think it might have been Monday, but um, you might be right. Might have been Tuesday because there was the possibility that he could have played on Thursday, which means he got uh, the positive test. I might then he would have to be retested Tuesday. Uh, I don't think he can ta- take the test the next day. You got to wait wait at least twenty four hours. So he would have tested if he could have possibly tested negative on Wednesday and earlier on Thursday. He could have been cleared for the game. Yeah, so I'm not concerned yet, obviously. But, yeah, who's your tight end right now? It's Jack Stoll. That, that's your first-team tight end. And that's pretty much it. Like, Tyree Jackson isn't coming off IR. I mean, he will be soon, but not right now. And that's something else I, I was pretty interested in, what Howie Roseman said. You know, they really like him. And I think that's another reason why – if they feel he's going to develop this year and actually become a contributor in this offense late in the season, do you pay Dallas Goddard and just, or just roll with this guy and say, you know what, we found our own version of Logan Thomas here. We found our own version of Darren Waller. And you know, not saying he's going to be those guys, but if he can contribute the same Dallas Goddard has, why pay a guy 12 million a year to be a top tier tight end? We can pay a guy, 850k right to do the same thing and you can spend that money elsewhere and oh by the way uh that's one of the reasons why they need to get tyree jackson hopefully and i know they can't rush you can't rush a guy coming back from a major back injury but they got to be hoping that they can get him back out onto the field that they can get him into practice they can get a better look at him then get him in the games and see if he can actually do something because yeah there is the possibility that goddard wants outrageous money that he is going to uh, set the bar so high that the Eagles can't justify actually paying him. And then you got to be able to do something at tight end. Yeah, there'll be other tight ends out there that they could look at free agency that they'll be able to get for less than Goddard. But if you are that confident that Tyree Jackson has come that far, that fast, maybe that is the direction they go. But you can't even begin to think about that until he gets back out on the field. He made some nice plays in practice during the uh, preseason. He hasn't done diddly. During an NF, even a preseason game, he hasn't done anything yet. So you, I don't know how much faith you can put in a guy that he can be your starting tight end if he hasn't played in the game yet. The Eagles are certainly hoping to get him in a game. Uh, one thing that I will be uh, very interested in this game coming up against the Raiders uh, for Goddard, assuming Goddard gets cleared from the COVID list and he's going to play. As John and I have discussed several times, the reason that Goddard is held in high regard across the league is that he's a really good pass-catching tight end. He's a phenomenal run-blocking tight end. He's one of the best. He might be as good uh, right up there near the top uh, of guys who aren't like offensive linemen who have been converted to tight ends. Of course, they're the best blockers, but they got no chance to catch. He's the combo package, and that gives him extra value, and that's why he probably is going to get paid big bucks either by the Eagles or on the open market. 
Here's a novel concept, Nick Sirianni. Why not take advantage of that skill? Actually run the football against the Raiders this week and benefit from the fact that Dallas Card is one of the best uh, blocking tight ends in football. Here's a stat for you, Jody. Do you know the Eagles have the second fewest rush attempts in NFL history for running backs? through History? In history. Only the Jaguars in 2014 have fewer rush attempts by running backs through six games. And that team went 3-13. and 13. Who was who was the Jag quarterback that year? That uh, that was Blake Bortles, I believe. Blake Bortles, okay. Yeah, I think that was Blake Bortles' rookie year. It might have been his rookie year. So, which is weird. Like, why would you have him throw the ball when he's a rookie quarterback? But I digress. And I'm just, I don't get this head coach. I just don't understand why he doesn't run the ball when he has a running back who's in the NFL in yards per touch since he's been in the league. You don't even try to get in the football. It's okay if you don't like him. That's fine. We'll give the ball to Kenny Gainwell. Get the ball to Boston Scott. Like, I don't even know Boston Scott's on this team anymore because they don't even utilize him. It's, I thought for sure – this is where I was completely wrong about Nick Sirianni this year. I thought for sure Miles Sanders, Kenny Gainwell, Boston Scott, on John, whoever was on this roster was going to get touches, and whether it was in the passing game, whether it was in the running game, and they were going to help out this quarterback. This is why I don't go to – Fully the bat for Jalen Hurts, but I'm going to defend him. How can this guy succeed when there's no balance on offense? And you can give me the RPO stuff all you want. Guess what? You're a quarterback. It's this. It's never this. So run design, run plays. Help this guy out because Tampa Bay figured out quickly they are not running the football. So we are going to go after him, and we are going to force him to his right and we're going to make him make a play with his legs or with his arm. And he didn't do much of either until the game was pretty much out of hand. And he didn't really do much of his arm all night. But again, they don't run the ball the last two games. Jalen Hurts struggles. Do the math. Run the football more. And no, not this RPO stuff. Actually give the ball to guys who can make plays like Miles Sanders. And honestly, it's going to scare running backs from coming here as long as this head coach is here. And, I, I just don't like what he's doing right now. Well, uh, I won't dismiss the RPO thing because if you hand it off, you hand it off. But he needs to hand it off more. Yeah. Uh, we understand what an RPO is. The quarterback has to make a decision by judging one defender and where he's on the field as to whether it would be more advisable to give it to the running back or pull it back out of his belly and make a play with your uh, arm. He's judging that to be better to keep it in my hands rather than put it in Sanders' stomach much too often. And I'm not questioning his read, that he's got the read right, but the best way to just do away with the fact that he has to make a decision is don't call it an RPO. Just get under a shocking revelation. Quarterback can take a direct snap from the center. Not every play has to come out of the shotgun, Coach Sirianni. At least give him a chance to run the football a little bit. Let your offensive lineman, everybody, every offensive lineman I've ever spoken to prefers run blocking to pass blocking. Give him a little bit of a break. Let him maul somebody. Let him run the football. Is this the week that happens, Jeff Kerr? <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, funny statistic for you. So the Eagles run the fewest play action plays in the league. You want to guess which team runs the most? Well, but see... <laughs> Here's how I would uh, answer your question with a question. On an RPO where they don't hand the ball to the running back, 
is that considered play action? To me, no. Um, To me, me it is. So I would say the Eagles being one of the least uh, used uh, play action teams is a little bit of a faux stat because on an RPO, that's it basically serves the same purpose. I don't think it sucks the defense in as well as a true um, fake handoff, but it, it's it's not a straight-up passing attempt. You are at least showing the possibility that you could hand it to a running back. Yeah, uh, to me, it's – and again, this is where the whole play-action stack comes in. To me, play-action is you line up under center, you fake your gun, and then you, you, know, you do the fake, and then you go out. So, yeah, so with the RPO, again, I think – just because they're in the shotgun as much as they are, you're you're selling it, but you're not really selling it. I I still don't understand running shotgun every play, Nick Sarah. So I agree with you there, Jody. I'm just like, can this quarterback line up under center? Can he do a a basically a regular play action? Can he do that? I, I don't know, and I think this is what scares me about this football team. I don't know any more or less about Jalen Hurts through six games than I did at the beginning of the season. And they got to figure out if Jalen Hurts can do this stuff. Because if he can't, and they already know that, Jalen Hurts won't be here in 2022. Or he'll be here, but he'll be on the bench. And I don't know if he'll ever get benched this season. I don't think that's going to be a possibility. I don't think that should be a possibility. But I'm scared for the kid right now because I just don't think he's getting – the assistance he needs from a coaching staff that may not want him. And, oh, by the way, I did look it up just before the show started. The Raiders against the run this year, and this is an imperfect stat because it doesn't take into consideration how the individual games were going. Were they playing with a lead? Uh, what was the defense's task? Were they just trying to protect? Were they, did they need turnovers and the like? Because the Raiders are 4-2, and two, but every single game they played seems to hang in the balance. Um, which is why I think the stat does hold some water. They're in the bottom quarter of the NFL in uh, yards against a run per game. They're ranked 25th in the NFL through six games. So they are a team that can be run against. If you uh, give any credence to that stat, the issue is I didn't even realize the, the Raiders are 25th. The Eagles are 28th. It wasn't like two weeks into the season, the Eagles uh, defense, one of the second or third ranked defenses in the NFL in giving up no runs, no yardage against the run. Yeah, the last couple of weeks have not been too kind to the Eagles on the defensive side and giving up runs. Uh, yeah, the Raiders may be looking to run the football against the Eagle defense. Uh, they're struggling more against the run than they are against the pass, but even against the pass, they're struggling a little bit too. All right, uh, I uh, shot your text yesterday to let you know what we're doing here today on Birds 365. Um, you know, we always have Eagle-centric guests, and uh, John McMullen will be on as a guest today. He's got to do the COVID shot thing. Um, so he's going to join us coming up about a half an hour from now. Um, we're going to have a special guest. Uh, we do this from time to time, not often, but I surely believe this one was worth doing. Seth Wickersham, investigative reporter for ESPN, uh, who's done a couple of really in-depth tell-all articles about the New England Patriots. He's done enough research and done enough of these stories to uh, put it all together and come up with a book. And his book was released last week. I think it was Tuesday, as a matter of fact. Um, And it is uh, really eye-opening, as a matter of fact. It's called It's Better to Be Feared. And it's about Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, 
Robert Kraft, the entire Patriot dynasty, but those three main figures and some very interesting stories. Yes, Eagle fans, uh, one of the downsides of that 20-year run up in New England was the Super Bowl in Minnesota when they got the better of the New England Patriots. Even that, he's got some good stories about Malcolm Butler and what happened on that uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Seth Wickersham, investigative reporter and author from ESPN, is going to join us next here on Birds 365. comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. My bud, Jeff Kerr, going in for Johnny Mac today. Jay Mac will be on about a half an hour from now. Um, he's got COVID testing for the Eagles this week, uh, so we'll punch him up as a guest rather than a co-host. We're waiting on our first guest. So we're hoping that uh, Seth Wickersham uh, jumps aboard uh, soon. Uh, investigative reporter for ESPN has uh, decided to put all that work to use and put it underneath a hardcover. He's got a uh, book out about the Patriots and their dynasty, and the relationship between the triumvirate of big achievers and big egos up in New England. Uh, Mr. Kraft, Mr. Belichick, and Mr. Brady. Well, only two out of three are still there, and that's one of the storylines we'll go down with. Seth Wickersham, uh, ESPN 
uh, investigative reporter whose new book, It's Better to Be Feared, is out and uh, on better bookshelves uh, everywhere for you uh, sports fans out there. I do believe it's one of those books because they have been such a uh, an accomplished team that it's not all just about um, the Philadelphia Eagles. If you're a football fan, then this is a story you're probably going to want to read. You know, you can make note of the uh, big game between the Eagles and the Patriots. And I know that's one of the things that Seth has been uh, able to incorporate in his book. I see he's almost ready to join us. So why don't we punch him up? Seth, Jordan McDonald, and Jeff Curry here from Eagles uh, uh, Birch 365. Thanks for joining us today. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing good, Seth. Um, I, I guess I'll start off with the first question here. So about that Malcolm Butler benching in uh, Super Bowl 52, we never really seemed to get an answer until your book came out. Oh, thank you. I, um, You know, and there's still some mystery involved. But, you know, before the game, Malcolm Butler got sick. And that's, you know, public knowledge. And, and during practice in the lead up to that week, and in the lead up to that game, he really just didn't seem locked in. And he got into a screaming match with Matt Patricia, who was the defensive coordinator at the time. And Patricia just seemed more down on him than even Belichick did. And so they sat him. And I think that it's one of the most interesting things is that, you know, Bill Belichick has been around a lot of um, difficult players that have posed some management challenges during his career. You think back to like Lawrence Taylor <laughs> and all of the things that that are legendary now that Lawrence Taylor did at night. But I think that not being locked in before a Super Bowl was an unforgivable sin. And then after the game, in which Malcolm Butler famously didn't play, he was talking to the teammates who were like, you know, what what happened? What what was going on there? And he said, these dudes, these MFers. And he was not referring to his teammates. He was referring to the coaches. Understood. And it's kind of <laughs> and I know. It's so hard to judge locked in. Probably Bill Belichick can judge it better than anybody else on the planet, but it's you never get 100% in a guy's head. And he did kind of have a big play that kind of delivered a Super Bowl to the Patriots previously. I guess it wasn't enough goodwill for them to uh, excuse the fact that he might not have been, quote, unquote, locked in for uh, that Super Bowl still to this day. I think it's just stone cold strange. Uh, through your uh, evaluation. Belichick make that call? Patricia make that call? Combinate? Did Patricia have to talk Belichick into it? How did it actually play behind, as bet you could uncover, behind well, the scenes to not play him? I understood why they demoted him. Now, why they didn't play him when the Eagles were clearly having so much success in that game offensively, that I'll, I'll never understand. And that's clearly a Bill Belichick decision. But remember, you know, he made the big play in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. And there were some issues with his contract and showing up to camp on time in the subsequent years. Like at one point, the NFLPA had to get involved. And I think that in the Super Bowl, when the when the Patriots played the Falcons, Butler got beat deep in that game. And I think that the, that the coaches just seemed to give up on him. I mean, I think that that's the gist of it. But really, that Super Bowl was really fascinating. And it was interesting to look at because there have been a lot of problems in the building for the Patriots during that 2017 season. You know, you had Tom Brady wanting, you know, pushing his TB12 business. You had Alex Guerrero in the middle of it all and Belichick curtailing his access around the building. Um, in the middle of it all, you had Brady wanting a contract until he was age 45 and the Patriots just not really willing to go there. 
And, you know, you had Jimmy Garoppolo, who Belichick didn't want to trade and ended up having to trade at the last minute. And then they go and play the Eagles. <laughs> and, I mean, that defensive game plan was a mess. The coaches agreed, for instance, that, you know, they needed to make Nick Foles beat them. But how they were doing it, there was some disagreement on it. And in the second quarter, especially when the Eagles were just able to run the ball at will, it was obvious that the defensive game plan wasn't working. And at halftime during that game, actually, the lights went out in the Patriots locker room as Justin Timberlake was performing. And um, the coaches had to use their phones <laughs> to try to light things up. And Ernie Adams was, was in Bill Belichick's face saying, like, why are we in light personnel? What the hell are we doing? Because the Eagles were just gashing through New England's defense. And, you know, they had, New England ends up putting 600 putting up 600 yards of offense and still loses and doesn't even punt. And later that week, when, when the Patriots returned to the, to Foxborough and had a team meeting, Brady told people he wasn't returning. Was that the year 2017 where everything just kind of went South between Brady and Belichick or was it building up to that point? No, it was a real turning point. I think that, you know, like I said, they, they won their fifth Super Bowl together, and Tom just wanted to be known as more than New England's quarterback. <laughs> you know, he pushed this business, his TB12 business, really hard. And, you know, Belichick made resoundingly clear that Alex Guerrero did not work for the Patriots. And when asked if he was going to read the TB12 method, Tom Brady's book, Belichick said, I see Tom every day. I don't think I need to read a book. <laughs> I mean, he was really dismissive of that. And in the middle of it, you had out, you had Jimmy Garoppolo, who Belichick was deeply invested in. And then you also had Brady wanting this contract. And, you know, there was at one point he and Belichick talked about the contract till he was age 45. And that meeting ended in a blow up. Kraft was like kind of involved. The, the Krafts didn't know if Belichick was actually going to return that year, you know, after the 2017 season. And so there was a, even though, and in the off season, after that Super Bowl, Brady, you know, he skipped the entire voluntary off season program and actually asked Kraft for his release. And Kraft declined to give him his release because they had just traded Garoppolo. So they were kind of invested in Brady's future, in Brady as their future. And then Kraft changed his mind and ended up allowing Brady to be released, but then Brady didn't want it. Anyway, fast forward to August of 2019. Brady still wants a contract until he's age 45. At this point, Belichick and Brady have six Super Bowl rings together. There's another contentious contract negotiation where the Patriots just kind of see Brady as a year-to-year -year player. Brady almost leaves training camp in protest because he was so frustrated. He ends up signing a one-year deal with the Rays and an out to allow him to be a free agent. And 48 hours after he signed that deal, he and Giselle Bundchen put their house on the market. I remember that. That was uh, wild. And I remember your long investigative article on ESPN about it. I said, damn, how do they keep winning Super Bowls? They've got all this infighting going on up there. was pretty amazing. And I know you noted this. I don't remember it was in the article. You noted here in the book. And certainly it has played itself out since uh, Brady has relocated to Tampa. How big a part of it was that Tom kind of wanted a seat at the player personnel table that he was continually taking deals below market value. How high can you go for the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Well, he always took a little bit less, so the Patriots would have some flexibility to keep adding talent to the team. 
but he was never consulted or brought in on how they're going to use that money that Tom Brady is saving them when he went to Tampa. Yeah, I'm bringing in Gronk. Yeah, I'm bringing in Antonio Brown. He surely has has a lot to say. How big a part of uh, the separation between he and the Patriots was just that? Well, I think that it was a factor. You know, Tom and the contracts had really, it had really been an issue since maybe, what was it, 2010 or so. You know, Brady was tired of taking these. At that point, Brady was kind of tired of taking these team-friendly deals. And that was when the Patriots were just kind of coming up short in Super Bowls and getting bounced in the playoffs by the Ravens and the Jets. And it just, you know, nobody knew if, you know, what the future of that team was. They had kind of plateaued at an incredibly high level. And, you know, they had, Brady had a, had a contentious contract negotiation that year. And then you have 2013 where he signs another below market deal. And then Wes Welker leaves for the Broncos. You know, he thought he did it to try to help someone like Wes Welker get re-signed. And then Belichick lets Wes Welker go. And I think he did want to have a little bit. He wanted to be a little bit more than just a quarterback. And I think that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Alex Guerrero said, you know, Belichick failed to evolve to account for what Tom Brady had become. And I, I don't know if that's quite fair. I think he did, but it was within the context of Belichick's program. So Brady was always going to have a ceiling in New England. And look at the roles that he has in Tampa. <laughs> I mean, at one point when he was leaving New England, he told Joe Montana, he goes, you know, they ask my advice, I give it, and then they don't do anything with it. And, you know, in Tampa, he is the quarterback of the team. He's the de facto offensive coordinator. They are running New England's offense, not Bruce Arians offense. And he's a pseudo personnel executive. Alex Guerrero, you know, who obviously got into, you know, was kind of a divisive force in New England, not only has an office in the Tampa Bay Bucks building, but he got a Super Bowl ring. And so I think that like things are just different for, for him now. And, you know, at this point, he knows more about offensive football than most head coaches. And, you know, I think that he's in a place where they welcome his input, even if he's not obviously making final decisions on things. Now, how does Bob Kraft handle this Brady-Belichick divisiveness? Because, you know, Bob loved Bill the first stint he was in New England when he was under Parcells, and he made sure he brought them back to New England. And then you got a guy who was drafted and won you six Super Bowls. How does he pick a side in all this? Yeah, and in some ways, I, I think he, he mostly did it masterfully, right? I think that he was trying to keep the band together as long as he possibly could. But that doesn't mean that it didn't come without, you know, managerial headaches. I mean, Kraft has told people that, you know, during the when the Patriots were first winning, you know, at the beginning of their Super Bowl run, you know, Belichick would still kind of kiss his rear end every now and then. And then once they really started winning and Belichick became a future hall of famer, you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> and, you know, you have Nick Casario who is Belichick's top personnel executive and Kraft would have to call him for information about the team. And sometimes because Belichick wouldn't tell Kraft what was going on. And sometimes Nick Casario didn't know what was going on either because Belichick wouldn't tell him. <laughs> And there was this moment in 2018, you know, where Kraft was at this kind of rich guys conference in Aspen. And he goes, you know, I really hate leaving all these brilliant minds. And I got to go to Detroit to be with the biggest effing a-hole in my life, my head coach. Don't. All that said, though, you know, these are really stubborn and type A personalities. And generally speaking, I think that Kraft 
did a masterful job at trying to, you know, keep the egos in check as best he could. Um, but, you know, these guys, you know, it didn't come without managerial challenges at times. Seth's book, It's Better to Be Feared, available, uh, came out last Tuesday for any football fan who wants to know the story behind the story with the New England Patriots and their dynasty. It is a must read. Uh, it is better to be feared. It's better to be feared. I can read into several possibilities as to what you would try to do with that title if you can give us a nice little synopsis. You could probably talk about it for 20 minutes. We don't have 20 minutes. Well, Driving forth, but behind the title when you came up with it. Yeah, I mean, the saying, of course, is it's better to be feared than loved. And I just thought that that, that fit them because especially after, you know, during the first part of the run when they were winning Super Bowls, they were – you know, it was easy to kind of get swept up in the romance of it all, right? You had this head coach that not many people thought could be successful. You had this quarterback who nearly went undrafted, and they kind of found each other, and this miracle happened. And then 2007 happens, and Spygate breaks. And America starts to look at these guys very differently. And I think that that's really when they kind of were able to, you know, unleash their inner a-hole, if that makes sense. <laughs> And I think that they kind of became a little bit more of who they that. were. I mean, during that season, remember, they were getting criticized for running up the score on teams. They did not care if anybody liked them. It was, you know, that saying New England versus the world. It, it, that's what it was. And I think that, like, at that point, their bloodthirstiness came out in a way that we had never really seen on a football field in quite some time. And from then on out, it just kind of stayed with them. I mean, remember when Deflategate happened and all of the owners were looking, you know, for Roger Goodell to pile on the Patriots for that as a makeup call for Spygate because they felt like that Roger Goodell had been too lenient with Spygate and actually complicit in a cover-up when they stomped those Spygate tapes to pieces in a Gillette Stadium conference room. And so, you know, the Patriots just kind of took on this persona and they kind of owned their darkness in, in a very interesting way. And so that's why I thought the title made sense. Very good. Yes, yeah, Seth. So I remember Super Bowl 39 very vividly. And that all the drama was with Philadelphia that week. Obviously, you know, will T.O. play? Won't he play? I don't remember anything coming out of New England that week. I mean, the only drama we got was three years later with Spygate. Was anything going on in New England leading up to that game? You know, it was a pretty calm week. I thought one of the most interesting subplots that I get into a little bit in the book was, you know, Jeffrey Lurie. And, and, you know, I didn't realize until I started reporting the book just how much losing out on the Patriots to Robert Kraft affected him. I mean, he essentially disconnected from the world and just went traveling for a long time. And, you know, he was finally able to get the Eagles and the Eagles were built in a phenomenal way. Remember, you know, leading up to that Super Bowl, the Eagles and the Patriots had actually had identical regular season records in the years leading up to it. And the Eagles, you know, obviously hadn't made it to four straight NFC championship games. You know, there's just that little difference about like what makes an A minus team versus an A plus team. And nobody knows, <laughs> but it was there. And before the game, you know, Jeffrey Lurie and Robert Kraft were exchanging bro hugs and acting like they were best friends. But the coaches on the staff for the Eagles noticed that Lori was very antsy leading up to the game. And he was like, we better not lose to this son of a bitch. 
and the comparison between Donovan McNabb and Tom Brady had something to do with the results during all that period as, as well. Um, all right, so I want to look ahead. You do a great job of looking back over the entire dynasty 20 years. Brady leaves, one nothing Brady. He wins the Super Bowl. Big Bill doesn't make the playoffs. It was a lopsided one nothing, as a matter of fact. And oh, by the way, Brady well out in front again this year, although Mac Jones is looking okay to me. Um, how long are Kraft and Belichick tied to each other? It seems like the relationship between Kraft and Belichick was actually more contested than Kraft and Brady, but it ends up that Brady goes elsewhere, and certainly part of it was Tom made his own decision to do that. Now you've got two of the three left still working it together in Boston. Are they tied to each other for as long as Belichick wants to coach? Is there going to come a point where if they're not going back to Super Bowls again, that he's actually going to step in and tell, uh, sorry, Bill, you're no longer the coach of the Patriots. I know you got a big uh, part of the book about who's next in line, the uh, jockeying for position to step in when the Belichick era ends. When are those two going to split or are they? Well, I, I don't know. And I think that, you know, nobody knows when Bill is going to walk away. And I think one of the most interesting things about Tom and Bill is that, yes, they're all, you know, consumed by winning Super Bowls, but the Super Bowls are almost like an accident, like a byproduct of this larger obsession because these guys could have exited like John Elway or, you know, Tony Dungy at many points and they keep going. Remember Tom Brady last year, you know, they win the Super Bowl. His family runs onto the field and the very first question Giselle Bunchen asks him is what more do you have to prove? And Brady sidesteps it. He's like, I was trying to change the conversation because in a weird way, he was already thinking beyond what they had just done. And, you know, Belichick had once said, you're not going to, I'm not going to be like Marv Levy and coaching in my seventies. He loves to take shots at Marv Levy, but he's going to be 70 next April. And so it's going to be really interesting to see. I think that one of the things with Bill is that he's had an enormous amount of pride and he never wanted to turn over a bad team to his successor. And a key ingredient of that is having them fixed up at quarterback. And it looks like Mac Jones at least has the potential to be that type of guy. And so it, it, you know, I think that that's such a key ingredient that it does make me wonder if, you know, Bill might walk away sooner rather than later. But the simple fact is that nobody knows. Bill's had six interesting years in Cleveland and his post Brady record or games without Brady. I think he's like five, six games under 500. Does he worry about his legacy and he can't win without this quarterback? Well, it's interesting, right? Because obviously in Cleveland, his, he, you know, he had a losing record and he had some extreme circumstances there, obviously. Then he goes 5-11 with Drew Bledsoe in New England and 0-2 to start the 2001 season. Then Brady comes in. And then during the year in 2008 that Brady mostly missed with his knee injury and during 2016 when he was suspended, Bill wins games without Tom. Now Tom is gone. Last year, Bill kind of made excuse, you know, he kind of gave an excuse. He was blunt. He just said, look, we sold out. And he kind of indicated that they needed a rebuilding year. But, you know, th that's continued. It's it's unbelievable to me that the Patriots are are winless at home this year after all the money that they spent more money on on guaranteed contracts in the offseason than Robert Kraft paid for the New England Patriots when he bought the team. And so. I don't, I mean, I think that like 
Bill Burns if he loses a game. And I don't think he thinks that his accomplishments are being diminished by the week when Tom Brady is making winning look easy and all of a sudden it's really harder in New England. But, you know, it's hard to think that, like, he doesn't notice it on some level that the Bucks just keep moving on and New England is just coming up just, you know, just short enough, um, enough of the time. It, it is interesting. And I mean, but look, Bill was, Bill made the decision on how to evaluate Tom Brady after the 2019 season, but Robert Kraft backed him. It was an organizational decision to let him open the, you know, to open the door, to let him walk out. And he definitely walked out. All right, Seth, last thing, and we know you got another interview to do, so thanks for your time today. Um, they've got a commercial on TV now about Tom Brady and Giselle selling Bitcoin, jumping into the Bitcoin market, which I actually think is very well done, as a matter of fact, calling friends in the bar in Boston. You can't come back. When his playing career is over and done with, and who knows, maybe he gets another Super Bowl or two with Tampa, which will rub more salt in the wound. But when it, when his uh, career is done, how will he be perceived by the Patriot faithful in Boston? Well, I mean, they have to love him, right? I mean, I was at the game when the Patriots played. Well, the according to the Bitcoin commercial, they're never going to love him again. They'll buy the Bitcoin, but sorry, Tom, we're never going to love you again. I mean, I would just have a hard time believing that that the Patriots fans would be that spoiled. But I will say this, you know, they che- I was there for the game a couple weeks ago and they cheered for Brady during most of warmups. And then the Patriots, I don't think the TV cameras caught this, but the Patriots go to the locker room before kickoff and the Bucks, <laughs> led by Brady, go to the middle of the field and do a chant right on the Patriots logo at the 50 yard line. The fans definitely did not like that. And they booed him on the way out of there. All that said, he brought that that fan base. I mean, he revolutionized Boston sports forever and redefined what it meant to be a quarterback there. And I would have a hard time if if even salty Boston fans, you know, didn't end up loving him in the end, no matter what. The name of the book is It's Better to Be Feared. And tell all about the dynasty that was. Could it be rekindled under Belichick? We'll see. Um, but the dynasty over the uh, past two decades with the New England Patriots, Kraft, Brady, Belichick, their relationships. Great read if you're any kind of a football fan. Seth, we appreciate you jumping on board with us today. Thank you much. Best of luck with the book. Thank you guys very much. Our pleasure. Seth Wickersham, investigative reporter for ESPN. I remember the article that he did after the Eagles had beaten the Patriots in the Super Bowl in that offseason and what that Super Bowl lead up uh, did to the relationship between those three guys. They stuck it out. They won another Super Bowl, beat the Rams the year after, um, but it was irreparably damaged at that point. And now uh, one of the parties has gone in separate ways, and he's doing okay in Tampa. Eagles got a first-hand look at it last Thursday night, as a matter of fact. All right, we'll come back. Jeff Carr, Jody McDonald, your Birds 365 guys. John McBowen, the usual co-host, will step in to the guest spot. He joins us next here on Birds 365.
when it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Thanks for hopping aboard. Bird Street 65, Eagle fans. Yes, they've got a game coming up on Sunday versus the Raiders. We'll touch on that with John McMullen. He joins us in a couple of minutes. We'll start the look ahead. But it was fun to take a look back with Seth Wickersham. Uh, Jeff Kerr, I don't know that you and I have ever discussed this here on the air on Birds 365, the Eagles winning the 2017 Super Bowl. Um, one of my best friends is an obnoxious New England Patriot fan, and I tell him that to his face, that he's an obnoxious New England Patriot fan. And oh, by the way, he tells me all the time to my face how badly the Jets suck. So uh, we have that kind of relationship that we can say those things to each other. I told him before that Super Bowl, you're not a lock, buddy. The Eagles have a chance in this game. The Patriots are the favorite. Uh, They were, uh, I think, close to a touchdown choice. Uh, And uh, everyone uh, outside of Philadelphia or New England who could be quasi-objective about it a high percentage believed that it was just going to be another Patriot Super Bowl victory. I told my friend, and it wasn't just because, and he probably dismissed me because you're just getting on my case because you hate the fact that the Patriots own the Jets. I tried to let him know that I really believe the Eagles could win that game. Uh, so it's great to be able to rub salt in his wounds. He's been doing enough of it to me over all these years. How confident were you going into that game that the Eagles could pull the upset? So, that whole week or that whole two weeks, like, you know, I'm so knee deep in Eagles coverage at that point for well, I was at 27, 24-7 sports, which, you know, was under the CBS banner. And I knew as well as anybody did that all our company cared about was the Patriots. Patriots, Cowboys, Steelers. They were the three big teams. The Eagles were not supposed to be there. So, you know, I had to kind of hold back a little bit and, you know, just 
kind of keep my mouth shut about the Eagles. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then, like, I think when Alshon Jeffrey had his speech that Friday, I said, you know what, they're going to beat this team. They're going to beat this team. I said, this team has come too far. And I kind of said Nick Foles was going to win the Super Bowl in December. And I remember after I said that on my Facebook Live, I got interrupted. And it was my video about Nick Foles saying that. They're like, oh, he called it, you know, two months earlier. So that whole game, I just watched it and watched it and watched it. And I didn't say anything. I kind of kept my mouth shut and – as soon as Brady got strip sacked by Graham, <laughs> I put in emojis uh, out that should not be in, in a Slack room, but I did. And <laughs> it was just kind of like, whatever. You know, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they're going to win this game. And it was a fun time. I, I will say that. And I remember when they won, I said, guys, I've been working like crazy for two weeks. I'm like, can you give me 15 minutes so I can go out and just – you soak it all in for a bit. And they're like, well, you know, Nick Foles won Super Bowl MVP. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't care. The Eagles won Super Bowl. I don't really care who won MVP. I mean, you know, so it was a crazy two weeks. It's something I'll never forget. I remember the only free time I had, I went with my dad and we went to um, one of the Eagles uh, team stores to get, you know, just some Super Bowl memorabilia. Like I like to get programs and stuff like that. I remember they didn't have too many Super Bowl hats, but I wanted to get one. And, it was just a plain Eagles hat with the logo, and it had the Super Bowl 42, uh, 52 lo- logo on the side. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. I never wore the hat, but it just kind of sticks in there like in like in a trophy case. So, yeah, that's kind of my memory from the game. It, it was one of those games where I, I honestly didn't think they were going to win it until that Friday. Like, I, I like the week they had a practice. I like how Doug Pearson was all secretive. I'm like, I think they had – a great chance, but when Alshon Jeffrey just kind of went off at the media that Friday, I'm like, they're going to win this game. I'm like, they're ticked off. They want to go beat this team. And they did that day, and Seth just gave us a walk down memory lane about the Patriots putting up 600 yards and losing. Um, yeah, I... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think a big part of that was what they had done two weeks uh, before by not only beating the Minnesota Vikings, but beating down the Vikings. I think part of that Eagles Bowl win was the fact that they had built up their confidence as much as they had. Remember, they had squeaked by the Atlanta Falcons the week before. If Julio Jones actually can come down with that pass, there is no parade. There's no Jason Kelsey in a mummer's outfit. None of that ever happens. But after they beat the Vikings the way they did, I think it kind of set it up for uh, the Super Bowl. All right, uh, do we or don't we have our buddy John McMullen? We don't have his uh, fancy face. There it is. Hello, J-Mac. How are you today? Uh, doing well. How are you guys? How was Seth? He was, I, I thought he was, he was tremendous. Uh, you know, 1% better every question, John. 1%, that's all we can do. That's all we, well, I guess if you're two and four, you might want to get 2% better, but who knows? Well, we know you're an actual one percenter, so uh, <laughs> that's a that's a given that uh, you can handle. All right, um, first question for me is, and I I pretty much know the answer, but I need you to confirm. 
the Eagles starting tight end Dallas Goddard has not cleared the COVID protocol yet, correct? Uh, correct. Um, I think today will be 10 days. So I think today is going to be a big day, uh, but I have to check on that exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about um, if you have symptoms and by the nature of the fact that before Dallas was on the, the COVID list, um, he had missed a practice with what was described as an illness. So you don't have to be the, the greatest sleuth in the world to know he was having some kind of symptoms. So that pointed more toward 10 days than, than the quick two tests that sometimes you see people get cleared. So I, I think, and I think today is the 10th day, and I'll, I'll, I, I can't check on my phone, but uh, this will be a key day. And if it's not today, it's tomorrow. So I, I expect him to play in Las Vegas, but you have to wait and see, obviously. John, I've been waiting a couple of days to ask you this. So I, I was in Baltimore this weekend covering the Ravens game. Uh, Nick Sirianni came up. and Uh-oh. Yeah. And overwhelmed was a term I heard three or four times. Uh, you're in the trenches. Does he feel like he's overwhelmed after six weeks? Um, it looks like it at times. I, I mean, I, I've said, you know, from the start of this, I, I thought, and Jody and I were talking about this a little bit again yesterday. I thought it was just strange the way they put together this coaching staff, not having that veteran voice to lean on. Just the one thing, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing over the years, Jeff, the one thing every coach says the same, the one thing they all have in common is they say, wow, I didn't know how much more I had to do as a head coach. And most of it doesn't involve football. Most of it's ancillary stuff. Um, and there's always a growing uh, uh, pain aspect to that job. So I, I knew that was coming. Um, I, I, I don't think... Uh, he put together the staff probably the way he should have, and that's not an indictment uh, for the position coaches or teaching or anything like that. Just not having someone who's done it before and who could you can go to to advice for advice. And you can call Frank Reich and you can text Frank Reich and you can bring in Mike McCoy for a couple of days in training camp and talk and text to him. But it's not the same as having somebody there every day. Um and they haven't had that. And that was one of my biggest concerns. And I think it's manifesting itself, at least a little bit. Um, but I knew the growing pains were coming. It happens with every first-year head coach, every rookie head coach. And it's a little bit even harder if you take a look at a Matt Rule, for instance, a couple of weeks ago in, in Carolina in year two. You go back to his rookie year, we had Colin Thompson on the show, and he's like, well, he was a head coach at Temple and Baylor, so at least he did it at that level and kind of knew the enormity of the job. Nick's doing it, you know, first time at the NFL level. That's that's difficult. Okay, Max, speaking of that staff, a couple of weeks ago, Jonathan Gannon uh, decided, let me further explain a statement I had previously made. He had said in a previous engagement, uh, yeah. we don't really have a system. And he explained it after the fact. That, well, what I meant by that was we don't want to be beholden to a system. We want to stay fluid. We want to be flexible. We don't want to try and put square pegs in round holes. And I even understood it when he said we don't have a system. I, I knew what he meant, uh, but not everybody did. So I felt the need to explain it and uh, lay it out a little bit better. 
is he going to have to explain how Ryan Kerrigan is a productive player? Because he tried to do it yesterday, and for me, he failed miserably. Is this going to be another revisit situation for the Eagles' defensive coordinator? I don't think it's going to be a revisit situation. I think it, but I think it's going to be one of those situations where people focus on that quote, and I think they already have, and they Guilty. run with it. Yeah, you yeah. can count me in that and, group. I, I was befuddled by what he said yesterday. Yeah, and 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 that, see, that's the the mistake, and that's the mistake young coaches make. You you got to be, and I'm a hundred years old, and I make this mistake constantly. Jody calls me out on this. You got to be very, very precise in what you're trying to say, because Jonathan Cannon can be looking at me, or or Zach Berman, or Jimmy Kempsey, and we know what the hell he's talking about. I mean, we do. I'm sorry if people take that. We know what he's trying to say. The people with the camera, they don't know what he's trying to say, and all they hear is Ryan Kerrigan's playing well. And, he, it, you know, he went into a pretty in-depth explanation. And I know from Mike Zimmer's defense, I mean, that's a more disciplined pass rush. That's, you know, guys have gotten upset in the past because they don't get the sack numbers they think they might have gotten because they're not allowed to freelance. Everything's about technique. Everything's about staying in your lane. So I, I understood what he was trying to say, but the messaging was just awful. and And that's where... Young coaches have to understand they're not just talking to the to the media people. They're talking to everybody, and everybody's hearing this, and all they're taking out of that is Ryan Kerrigan is playing well with one tackle in six games, and then you become a bit of a, of a laughingstock, which I don't think is fair. I get what he was trying to say. We're asking Ryan Kerrigan to do different things than what you think of in Washington. He's not a playmaker anymore. He's a role player. And, and that's what he's doing. And he's successful at his role. But everybody shut that off. As soon as he said he's playing well, that's it. That's the clip. Boom. And, and you can't just make that declarative statement. You got you to you, you go into the explanation and leave that open-ended and say he, he's doing what we're asking him to do would be a better answer than, you know, he's productive, which is essentially what, what, what Jonathan said. Not to mention Ryan Kerrigan's one tackle was when uh trooper <laughs> ran into him. So I don't even know if I want to count that as a tackle job, but I digress. Um, Ryan Kerrigan, Eric Wilson. Yeah. If the Eagles are selling, do you think they'll be here this entire season? Well, I don't know why anybody else would want them. I, I mean, a, a, a you know, Jody, and I, I, I have talked about this seller mentality. I mean, you can want to sell all these players, but somebody's got to want them. Now, could you trade Steven Nelson? Yeah, you could trade Steve Nelson. Could you trade Andre Dillard? Yeah. Um, could you trade Derek Barnett for, you know, because of his salary, you probably only get a sixth, seventh round pick, but you can move him. Um, can you move Eric Wilson? I, I, I just said uh, cut him. <laughs> that that would have been a better term. <laughs> uh, yeah, they could they could they could release him, especially if if Davion Taylor um, seizes control of that job. Um, but you know he's a veteran linebacker. I think he'll be here. Um, 
I think Ryan will be here after what JG said. <laughs> I don't think they're going to cut him, but you never know. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, those have not been effective signings, especially, you know, Kerrigan. I don't get that mixed up in Kerrigan. He doesn't play that much. He's a rotational guy. Um, Wilson is supposed was supposed to be, and he's already lost that job was supposed to be the three down linebacker um, and it has not worked out at all. So that to me is a, is a bigger concern and the Eagles should have uh, saw that coming. They got, they got snowed by big plays. And I, I, I always go back to that quote I got from somebody in Minnesota about Eric Wilson, 20 point score on a bad NBA team. Like he's really athletic. He's going to make an interception when the quarterback makes a mistake. It's good in pass, good in pass coverage. Maybe the worst run support linebacker who plays significant snaps in the NFL, and he was last year as well. So that should be no surprise for to the Eagles. None. Understood. And I knew you were going there again because you do like that quote, and it is quite fitting. You gave it to us way before the season ever started. I think, as a matter of fact, when he signed. And he has lived up to uh, his reputation, as you correctly pointed out, J-Mac. Um, the Eagles had a long preparation week. At least the coaches did. The players had more downtime because they are collective, collectively bargained out more downtime. But the Eagles supposedly put in that much more time on the staff, self-scouting, self-evaluating, and the like. Do they come up with the conclusion that maybe running the football would be advantageous? This week, the Raiders are on a great defensive team against the run. I believe they're 25th in the NFL. Eagles are 28th, but the Raiders aren't great at it either. Is all that extra study time going to get to the fact that let's give Miles Sanders seven or eight carries this week? <laughs> um, you know, all I can say is we will see. I, I do think it's going to be far more interesting on offense than defense or, or certainly special teams. I mean, Michael Clay spent his extra time on the golf course. Shot pretty well, by the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, offensively is where you have to really focus and, and see if there's any changes. Anyhow, we got Shane Steichen yesterday, which is not as important as Nick Sirianni today. Um, and he mentioned we got to get the football to Moss, but they've said that in the past. Um, I I. I I think it has more to do with the offense in that chicken and the egg situation where we talked about and, you know, what, what is the offense? Is this offense just awful? Is it, is, is Nick Sirianni to use Jeff's term that he heard in Baltimore? Is he overwhelmed? Uh, is he just overmatched or is he trying to protect the quarterback? I hope, like I said, I hope, I think he's trying to protect the quarterback. And then you get the people who don't understand. Well, 87% of Jalen Hurts, uh, of, of the Eagles' offense is Jalen Hurts. How is that protecting him? Well, they're protecting him by not forcing him to make progressions on the field. One read stuff, quick bubble screens, quick slip screens. He handles the football in the running game. Um, he's reading one player. This is all simple stuff. Is it simple because Nick's got nothing else? Or is it simple because he's protecting the quarterback? You better hope for long term it's because he's protecting the quarterback because the, the, the alternative is far worse. That's just 
that's just a guy who shouldn't be a head coach, the alternative. John, do you – how can I word this? Do you just think Jalen Hurts had a bad week where he played two games in five days, or is this going to be a long-term indicator of what he can and can't do in Philadelphia? Well, I think he had a bad game, um, and everyone has bad games, uh, even the greats. Um, so you kind of look at, at, at the larger sample size, which we are through six games. The most concerning part to me is they just do not – they ignore the middle of the field. They ignore it. And Shane Steichen said again today, well, that's what the opposing uh, defenses are giving us, and that's been an Eagles theme. Nick has said that as well. So you're telling me through six games, six different defense, six different coaches, six different coordinate, defensive corner, everybody's trying to take uh, the football uh, away from you outside the numbers. Nobody, nobody has said, you know what? Jalen Hurts is not that accurate. Let's force him to throw the football in the middle of the field. Are you kidding me? That That's the kind of stuff that bothers me. Six throws of 208 pass attempts in between the hashes per ESPN six throws of 208. Now you think about, and I always, and I brought this up to Jody Jeff. Now Tom Brady's an outlier. Tom's different, but you think about him in new England towards the end. He's, he's got the receivers in Tampa now. So it's different. He's got great receivers. He didn't have any receivers. Everything in new England was middle of the field with the tight ends and James white and the running backs and the angle routes, everything. He might complete 20 passes to the middle of the field in one game. And the Eagles have thrown six passes in the middle of the field over six games. That that has got to change for two reasons. One, you if you're that afraid of Jalen Hurts, throwing the football over the middle of the field. Well, then he's not the answer. You already have your answer. And then the second part is you got to evaluate the kid. You got to give him a fair chance. Um, but if you have the answer, if you think you have the answer, well, then, yeah, maybe you start talking about Gardner Minshew. If you're not going to throw the football in an area of the field because of the quarterback, maybe you got to start saying, you know what, we might as well turn the page. Mm-hmm. Marcus Hayes will be with us tomorrow. Uh, may get exactly what he wants because he suggested this week that it's time for Jalen to take a seat. All right, I'm going to flat back over to the defense with you, J-Mac. Um, as we talked about Jonathan Gannon earlier, I got, you got, I think a lot of people did, but he felt the need to um, explain the fact that they don't have a system. We know they have a system, and he just doesn't want to be locked in. That He doesn't want to uh, lack flexibility with his system we got a pretty good grasp on what his system is. How is his system going to work against Darren Waller this week? Who on this Eagle team or what aspect of their system, non-system, is actually going to give them a chance to stop one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the NFL? Um, You know, I think a lot depends. If you go back to Kansas City, for instance, well, technically they handle Travis Kelsey, but... (laughs) You know, I mean, it was Tyreek Hill. So, I mean, you can take anybody out of the game if you want to bracket them uh, consistently. Uh, But the question is, what are you going to do with the other guys? Um, And then if they're successful, you you try to, you know, 
behind the scenes, JG is pretty honest. You know, no defense takes away everything. Um, so you make your your choices. And if they decide that that's what they want to game plan and they want to take Darren Waller out of the game, they could probably take him out of the game. Um, if they don't, if they want to game plan in a different direction or feel they need to, then it's up to the Rodney McLeods and Anthony Harris's of the world, Eric Wilson's of the world, uh, to to handle uh, Darren Waller, and you also add obviously Avante Maddox. Now, in theory, I think Avante's played pretty well, but that's a that's a that's a mismatch uh, from a a size standpoint, obviously, and that's why you have these flex tight ends. That's why. NFL teams like them if they can get them because it's always a mismatch. You're either um, too fast, too big for the corner, um, too athletic for the linebacker, and that's why all of them. That's why Kyle Pitts was the fourth pick in the draft. That's why Kelsey's Kelsey, and that's why Darren Waller's, you know, was turned in from a wide receiver at Georgia Tech to a king size flex receiver. That's what people are trying to generate. And yeah, it's a mismatch. So you either you want to take him out of the game you can but then you have you have difficulties on the outside Don, i thought it was pretty telling uh what brandon graham said on the post game show thursday night about jonathan gannon it was the players are born in the system they're born into him but deep down he knows he just doesn't have the personnel uh, what does gannon need more than Anything else on this defense to be competent going forward? Uh, linebackers, um, first and foremost. I mean, uh, yeah, he's got nothing at linebacker. And and he doesn't have confidence, obviously, in his backup corners. Um, and and they could use another safety. So, basically, I, I, I mean, I think Rodney uh, has played pretty well since he's come back. Um but he's also an aging player. I think he's kind of limited. He's not a, a, a star player by any stretch of the imagination. Anthony Harris has, you know, got some good ball skills, but he's not a star player. Um, we know the linebackers. It's not even worth going over uh, what he's got there. Um, and, and then at corner, particularly outside corner, it's pretty evident he doesn't trust anybody uh, outside Darius Slay and Steve Nelson. And, you know, it's the Eagles have been kind of lucky because you know how many corner cornerbacks get tweaks. They might not even be serious injuries, but it might be a hamstring. It might be, uh, it might be an ankle. It might be something that keeps them out for a game or two. I, I, I kind of like to see that to see who we throw out there and what he do, because it's, pretty clear he does not have confidence in any of his backup corners and you know if you think about it well they brought in mac mccain they they they've traded for tay gallon um they keep bringing in these young corners from outside the organization darts at the dartboard hoping somebody hits and so hoping somebody gives them what what they can um I, I would, you know, Andre Shashure, Sashure, I always got to catch myself. Um, he's more of a special teams guy. So I, but they keep rolling in corners trying to find some depth 
And that's when he, I talked about trading Steve Nelson. Uh, there's so many injuries to corners around the league. That's why you might have some value in Steve Nelson. But if you trade Steve Nelson, who are you going to play? So it's kind of a conundrum. Actually, as I told you yesterday, John, I think there's a better chance they could actually trade Maddox, which I know you believe they want to re-sign Maddox, and I would understand why. I tell you they could re-sign Maddox after the fact, but you said that doesn't happen in the NFL. We'll see. Um, here's a point I want to make with you, John. Um, I think it's yeah, my birds 365 most time co-host who continues to tell me Dallas Goddard is going to get paid and he's going to get paid big and he might be the highest paid tight end in the NFL because he does it all. He can catch the ball, but he can also be a great inline blocker when need be. And while I buy that theory, is it even necessary here in Philadelphia since they don't run the football? Do you want to pay Dallas Goddard the highest foot, the highest tight end money in the NFL and then not have him use one of his strengths, which is run blocking? Again, I'm back to where I started. My first question with you, is this a one miles run weekend? Will we actually see the Eagles tap in to just from the tight end perspective, one of Dallas Goddard's strengths since he's now the man here with no Zach Gertz to compliment? Yeah, it's a fair point, and and again, it go, everything goes back to the offense and the offensive scheme and what you're doing to this offense by limiting the offense. And you're right. Why well, pay a tight end $13, $14 million uh, if you're not going to use that tight end? I would say not only the, the blocking aspect, but also throwing the football, what we were talking about before, in the middle of the field. That's the tight end's job yep. uh, a lot of the time. Um, it doesn't make sense, um, but I think we all know this offense has to change uh, next year, whether it's with a new quarterback or whether with the same quarterback. It's got to change. It's got to shift. There's got to be more balance. There's got to be more uh, using every single yard on the field, not just certain parts of the field. Um, I think Howie Roseman understands that. Uh, so I think he's operating when you talk about in the extension that Dallas will ultimately get. Um, he's operating with that sentiment. But if the coach doesn't change, I mean, the coach is the coach is gone. If the coach doesn't change, if this if this offense doesn't start evolving, like he can lean on the crutch and say, I couldn't do it because of the quarterback. And you move on to the next quarterback. And. He'll have that opportunity. It's not going to be a one-and-done guy. Um, but if it, if it continues in the same way, oh, he's going to be two and out. No question about that. I mean, it's got – it has to change. It has to change. Yeah, John, you kind of let into my next question here. It's – even the guys I talked to this weekend, they don't think, you know, that whole six games Nick Sirianni thing, you know, where, where it'll be five or not, that just seems – asinine at this point it, it seems like the Eagles are willing to give him at at least two years but I guess three years is a good indicator where a guy can coach or not yeah I I mean certainly not six games and six games where by the way you were supposed to lose the four games you lost I mean I think if everybody goes back to their preseason predictions they said oh they lost to San Francisco they lost to, at Dallas they lost to Kansas City they lost to Tampa Bay it's not exactly a, a, a pearl clutching moment. I mean, these losses were kind of expected. 
Um, I, I think the issues come in with the context of how those losses uh, un, 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 you know, unraveled as they went on and looking at the offense. I think that's what you're saying. This guy's an offensive head coach. This guy was brought in to be a play caller. This guy's supposed to be the young up and coming I, ahead of the schemes offensively. He can, he can scheme people open. He can do this with wide receivers. Well, we haven't seen that. And, and again, it goes back to my overriding point. People are probably tired of listening to it. Is that because he's protecting the quarterback or is that because he's not capable of doing the things he was sold as? You better hey. hope it's first. Uh, he better hope the Eagles better hope uh, Eagles fans better hope um, last one JM is it just a foregone conclusion that Lane Johnson is going to be plugged and played right back at right tackle this week I know that uh, he put on social media he's rejoining the team and thanked all the people for understanding and the like it we know how good a player he is but he did miss a couple of weeks is it a given that he's just going to be able to step in and go right back into the starting lineup and play 100% of the snaps because the Eagles don't rotate guys on the offensive line if they don't have to. Um, when do you think coach Sirianni will uh, let that be known that yes, Lane's good to go. And we expect, expect um, him full I, board. I'm guessing he, he kind of begs off today and says, we'll see, we'll see how he jumps in. I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think he might need, a week to get back in the mix, but, but we'll see. I could see him putting him out there as well. Um, knowing Nick, he's going to play the competitive advantage card. He's going to say, well, we don't know. <laughs> um, and then I'll go to practice and I'll know, but I won't be allowed to tell you and that type of thing. Um, so I, I could see it going both ways. I could see them, you know, he's played a long time. Um, uh, if anything, two weeks off from a physical perspective probably helped his body, probably helped his ankle. I think he could do it. Uh, I think they'll play the competitive advantage card as as the week goes on. It's funny. Uh, instead of where's Waldo, where's Nate Herbig? Yes, the Eagles are getting a competitive advantage because we don't know where Nate Herbig's going to show up on the Eagle offensive line. Uh, yeah. I yeah, like you. Yeah, and I'm, I, sure, uh, I'm sure uh, Las Vegas is just very concerned about that. Uh, yeah, and the Dolphins really look concerned Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Las, Las Vegas. Not only out. the Raiders, but the gambling capital of the world. That could swing the point spread by about six or seven points. Where Nate Irving? Well, you know, and I, I will say, yeah, Gus Bradley, I'm sure, is losing a lot of sleep uh, trying to figure out where Nate Herbig is going to be. But I will say, if you go back to the Carolina week, I was talking to some of the Carolina writers. They did the same thing. They 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 were moving. Cam Irving was out, remember, uh, their left tackle. And they were moving um, uh, Jeff, who am I missing? Their right tackle. It's their best offensive lineman. He's um, 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 Yeah, not, not Cam. See, this is how much I paid attention to Carolina. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm blanking. But anyway, they were moving him over to um, left tackle, and they were starting uh, Brady Christensen, a rookie at right tackle. Um, and everybody in Carolina knew it, but they weren't, um, they weren't allowed to report it because Matt Rule thought he had a competitive advantage. And I said the same thing. Oh yeah, Jonathan Cannon's really is concerned that Brady Christensen is going to be a right tackle. Um, 
these these coaches are nuts at times. But what can you do? Right, and then you let them play their game, and you just wait to see what they actually do. Well, where is John McMullen? We know he's on the COVID test list, that he is going to go in and pass with flying colors. Jay Mack, we will see you back here in the morning on Birds 365. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Johnny Mack here with us, uh, with yours truly, Jody McDonald, and Jeff Kerr, who's done another outstanding job filling in for John McMullen. We'll come back. we still got Eagle stuff to break down. One thing we haven't really touched on yet, and yeah, I think we have to because our society is what it is, where we are, where we are with football and with life these days. Eagles are only a three-point underdog against the Raiders. That does surprise me a little bit. We're talking two and four Eagles against the four and two Raiders in Las Vegas, and Eagles are only a field goal underdog. I'll get Jeff Kerr's take as to why he thinks that's the case. Kerr McDonald, you are... Birds 365 guys coming back next. comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. He's Jeff Kerr. I'm Jody McDonald. We are your Mac and Mac. I'm Mac and Mac. Birds 365 guys today. You got any Macness? Any way we can make you a Mac Kerr? Uh, there's no Mac in me. Uh, there's no 
you know, my middle name, you know, it's it's not an doesn't start for them. I'll say that. There's no. What what is your middle name, Jeff Kerr? I do not know. It's Dale after my father. Dale. Okay, Jeff Dale, Dale Kerr. All right, fair enough. Um, and uh, when we have a Mac, so be it. When we don't, we certainly are capable of getting the show done. But I got to admit, we had Seth Wickersham on earlier. He had the best line of the day. Kerr, you got 25 minutes to top him. I'm not even going to try because I don't think it's possible. Um, you've got to own your inner a-holeness. Didn't think we were going to get that line on today's show. That was I, awesome. I had never heard anyone say it exactly that way. And I thought it was great. And we thank Seth for coming on. Thank Johnny Mac for coming on. Jeff, I need you to explain to me why the Eagles are only a field goal underdog against the Raiders. And again, I don't know everything about gambling, but I got a pretty good grasp on it. And forever, uh, the acknowledgement has been home field advantage should give the team whose stadium they're playing in a three-point advantage. So if you believe that the line moves three points toward the Raiders because the game is in their new stadium in Las Vegas, well, when that meets on a neutral site field, the Eagles and the Raiders should be a stone-cold toss-up. That it should be a 50-50 proposition that either team should, could win. The Eagles are 2-4, and four, the Raiders are 4-2. and two. There are only uh, – uh, well, uh, you know what? I'll make it a question off the top of your head. You may know it, Jeff, or you may be able to just quick figure it out. How many teams in the National Football League as of right now have a winning record? As of right now? Oh, right now. Man. Yeah, this is – I probably need about a minute or two here, but I I just did the division rankings uh, yesterday. It just came right. out. So you yes. shouldn't have to look it up. You should be able to figure it out. Top of your head. How many teams have a winning record? I want to say it's 17 or 18 off the top no, of my head. No. It's not? Oh, okay. No. Well, let's see. The NCAA's got three losing teams. South Scott, two. Is it more than 17? No, less. Yeah, it's got to be less. I'll go 13. Not even. Wow. There are only 11 teams right now in the National Football League that have winning records. Because we're on the even week, three and three doesn't cut it. So you've got to be four and two and better. That's what I was thinking. I was adding the 500 teams in my head. Right. That's not winning teams. Those are 500 teams. So there is only 11. The Raiders happen to be one of them at four and two. Now, of those 11 teams with winning records, I would say the Raiders might be the weakest. Either for me, it would be either the Raiders or the Bengals. Those two would be the last two teams with at least four and two records. I think every other four and two team and certainly the five and one teams and the one six and oh team, I would rate ahead of the Raiders. Um, so they're not an uber impressive four and two, but they are four and two where there are only 11 teams in the league. That's one third of the league that actually has a winning record. Why are the Eagles within a field goal? Why is this game viewed by Las Vegas and betting outlets as basically a toss-up if it were on a neutral field? Yeah, so I'm thinking a couple things here. One, I actually thought the Raiders' most impressive win was Sunday, you know, because I didn't think they were going to be Denver. Uh, not after all the drama. They just ensued and, you know, all the drama that's going to come. But they really rallied in that game. And, you know, Derek Carr had a nice game. Kenyon Drake had a nice game. They ran the ball well. And I was like, okay, they're going to run the ball pretty well against the Eagles. I, I guess because the Eagles are on coming off the mini buy, they had 10 days off. And I don't think the Raiders have a great, again, this is under John Gruden, though, you know, playing against teams that had coming off a buy or coming off 10 days rest. So maybe that's it. You know, it's really 
interesting to me um, th- that, and like you said, they're four and two, but are they really four and two? Do they, they're not the Los Angeles Chargers four and two. Let's just no. say that. And the Chargers stumped them on Monday Night Football a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, they're, they're such an enigma of a football team. I think that's why the line is what it is because you don't know what type of Derek Carr you're going to get each and every week. Like he, he makes a lot of big plays, especially, you know, 20 yards downfield, but there are games where you're just like, what's he doing? Like, you know, is this guy any good? Like their offensive line is shaky at times. Their pass rush is pretty good with Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, but they're not as consistent as they should be. Their defense still has a couple holes in there. They got a couple injuries. So maybe that's why I'm thinking, okay, Eagles are only three point underdogs, but I think if you and I would have said going into last Thursday night's game, is the Raiders game a winnable game? Yes, it is. I would agree, but um, – and I still think this one is winnable as well. I'm just a little surprised that they're only a three-point underdog. I thought it would uh, be about five or six, honestly. I-, I thought it would be closer to five, yes. Um, I would say their best game, Raiders' best game this year, was that opening – game victory over the Ravens. Oh, by the way, Ravens haven't lost since. They've whipped up five straight wins. So I got to give them the nod in that one. They were good last week. And you got to face up to what it is. Rich Bisacci is undefeated. He's the only NFL coach who's undefeated at this point. Jay Mack, and I'm not talking about this year. Cliff Kingsbury is only uh, 4-0 and because he wasn't on the sidelines last week. Still his team, but he wasn't there. Uh, no, I'm talking about lifetime. Rich Pensacci, the only undefeated coach in the NFL, 1-0. and And that's why I couldn't touch that game last week, because somebody asked me about it. Oh, what? The Raiders look like the choice. The, they, the I know the Broncos were 3-0 and at one point, but look who they beat, the Jets, the Giants, and the Jaguars, three bad teams, uh, which was a very good point. But I said, here's why I can't touch the Raiders. I don't know how they're going to deal internally with all the Gruden stuff. There was a chance that they rallied together as a group and said, either let's win one for the Gipper or we're going to not let this get inside our head. We're going to try and go out for our new coach. That was a possibility. Or they could all be out of their mind. Can't believe they pulled the plug out. Who is this guy? He said this stuff. We know that the Raiders have an openly gay player on their team. I would think it would have a direct effect on a call. That's it for the things that leaked out. And they could have come out completely unfocused for that game. Prior to it happening, I had no idea which way it was going to go. Now, to their credit, they came out focused. They played. Oh, you said you thought it was their best game of the year. Was that a one-week wonder? Was that a rally the troops, rally the wagon, circle the wagon moment, and now that much more difficult this week? Or is it a momentum-building thing going forward, Jeff Kerr? Yeah, that's all I'm wondering if it's a one-win thing. And, and look, I will say this about what the Raiders went through this week. I think that was definitely a rally-the-troops type of moment. Look, we still have a lot of our season in front of us. We're 3-2. and two. It's not like you know they were 1-4 when all this went down. They still can control their own fate in terms of the playoffs and the stacked AFC, and they held serve. They beat Denver, and the Chargers lost. I know they still have – the tiebreaker to go here because the Chargers beat them, but four and two in a loaded AFC is four and two. And I know like we just talked about, they're not exactly the most impressive four and two team on the planet, but you know, you're a Vegas fan or if you're on this team, you're thinking, okay, we got an Eagles team that that's not that impressive. We have a good chance to go five and two here and we can really write the ship. And I think this is going to be another prove it game for this Raiders team. I'm just curious to see, because 
I don't think they played particularly well at home this year. Even in the Monday night game against the Ravens, I felt like they let a lot of opportunities slip in that game. All right, as we take a look at the Eagles at two and four going into game number seven against the Raiders uh, and judge what the Eagles have done to this point uh, and try and attribute it to this upcoming game. They are a better road team than they're a home team. Both of their wins this year come on the road. In Atlanta week one, in Carolina just a couple of weeks ago. But those two teams were teams that I thought had comparable, maybe even lesser rosters in the Falcons uh, case than the Eagles. The home teams that they'd have to face off against have been pretty significant and pretty uh, talented and better rosters than the Eagles. Jeff Kerr, have we been able to determine yet? There are sometimes you get a team that just plays better on the road for whatever reasons and not as well as uh, they do at home. Uh, you're supposed to play better at home. you got the hometown crowd backing you. You're supposed to be able to ride on the emotion of uh, the support you get from your hometown crowd. Have we determined whether this is a good or bad home team or road team, or is it just come, does it just come down to the level of competition and the teams that they've been playing, both on the road and at home? Well, this is an interesting trend for the league in general. Um, over the last three years, teams on the road have a 51 win percentage. That's insane. It, from 1974 to like 2018, it was like 430. Now it's 510. So you have to wonder, maybe that's why the line is as skewed as it is, because they just don't know. Like it's, You're right. You're supposed to play kind of like when I was in Baltimore this week, how the Ravens played. They fed off the crowd noise. They fed off the energy. They knew it was a big game. One o'clock, playing you know that old school adage, West Coast team coming East Coast. It's 10 a.m. in the morning, and they just you know put the throttle down, took an early lead, and that was it. You know, now it's you know. It is funny how the Eagles' two wins are against the Falcons team, who may not be as bad as we thought. They're not good, but they may not be as bad as they thought. They are two and three. And against a Panthers team, who I don't think is that bad. And the Panthers just lost back-to-back games at home. They just lost in overtime to the Vikings at home. So, yeah, it's – I don't know, Jody. Like, it's tough because I feel like the Eagles' opponents on the road are more winnable games than – their opponents at home when you're facing the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year and a team that we all thought was going to be pretty good in the San Francisco 49ers. I think that they let that one get away. But honestly, through six weeks, if you would told me the Eagles would be 2-1 and one on the road and 0-3 and at home, I always said, yeah, that's probably right just because of, you know, who they played. It's, it's very interesting because now you got a team in Vegas who I think they could beat and – they got a team in Detroit on the road where they should be. I mean, there's a very good possibility this team could be 4-1 and one on the road going into that Chargers game. All right, let me uh, look ahead to uh, a game or two and just a, a, an overall conference read uh, from you on where the Eagles sit. Uh, Howie Roseman attempted to tell us, selling? What do you mean selling? We're not selling. We think we're just giving a chance to some of our good young players. Yeah, they're selling. And they might not be able to pull off another trade. Remember, it takes two to tango. Howie Roseman can, behind the closed doors, behind the scenes, uh, talk to every general manager in the league and say, we've got guys available. How would you like player X, player Y, player Z? And if the other team says, eh, no, thank you. There's nothing to do about it. Um, But the Eagles took a step backwards when they traded Zach Ertz just for this season, my estimation. Uh, and it bothers me after six weeks that they've done so 
in a 17-week season when they're not uh, 0-6. They're, they're, they're not completely buried. They're not in great position, but they're not completely buried. Let's judge their position. Um, they're tied with Washington in the division. They've got two games against Washington. You beat Washington, you can finish ahead of Washington. But it looks very unlikely they're going to beat the Cowboys. Cowboys, by the way, get a big break this week. Um, Dak hurt his calf at the end of the Cowboys win the other night against the Patriots and probably wouldn't be able to play this week if the Cowboys were playing. They're not. They're on their bye week. So the schedule did them a major favor by not having to make a decision on whether to play Dak Prescott with his calf issue. Uh, The Cowboys have basically put the division away. I know. There are 11 games left to go. You wouldn't usually say the division is over and done with with 11 games to go. So here's how I'll qualify it. If Dak Prescott stays healthy, this division is over. The uh, Dallas Cowboys are going to win it. Agree or disagree? Oh, I agree 100%. You know, it's if Dak Prescott is, say that calf strain is grade two, he misses what? Maybe two, three more games, and then you have an opening there. But here's what I'm concerned about, Jody. He's going to catch up. Washington? I don't think so. Philly? I don't think so. Giants definitely not. So I, I think they kind of have this thing wrapped up, but you're right. If Dak's healthy, they may win this thing by five, six games. I mean, they're already up three with a tiebreaker over the Eagles. So yeah, I, I don't know, Jody. It's I, I think Dak makes them a contender in the NFC. I still don't think they're better than the big dogs. I, I think Arizona's up there. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay's definitely up there. I, I don't think they're as good as them, but I think they're good enough to win a playoff game. But overall, it's they are, they're benefiting from a really easy schedule too. They are not playing the same schedule the Philadelphia Eagles are playing right now. And I think they got the Kansas City Chiefs coming up in a couple weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So that that'll be an interesting test for them. But overall, it's I remember uh, Pat Walker, who I work with at CBS. He mainly focuses on the Cowboys. When they lost the first game, he said, Jeff, they could win any in a row. And I said, you really think that? He goes, look at their schedule. And I looked at their schedule. I said, I think that far-fetched. Yeah, and they've got five. They only need three <laughs> more to make eight in a row happen. Uh, I want you to read on a couple of teams that are three and three. We just did the list of teams that are uh, winning teams in the NFL, only 11 at four and two or better. A couple of three and threes, Minnesota Vikings, who are like a cardiac kid team. Every game seems to come down to the last play of the game, if not in overtime. And the Chicago Bears, with Justin Fields now having taken over, got beat by Aaron Rodgers at home last week, but that's nothing new. It's been happening for a decade plus in that division. Aaron Rodgers always beats the Chicago Bears. Which of those two teams is more likely to be above Pine Runner and be a true wild card contender, Vikings or Bears? I would say the Vikings, uh, you know, again, there's five teams in the NFC. I think we're pretty certain they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, Tampa, LA, Dallas, Arizona, um, Green, Green Bay. That's the fifth. So I think there's a couple of teams battling for those final two spots. I think the Vikings are eventually going to seize one of them. I, I don't, I think they are what they are three and three, but I, I think they have the potential to be a little bit better than that just because of their schedule. And again, you know, I, I think they're a better team than the Chicago Bears at this point. And the Bears should be better. I like their defense. I like their skill position players. Obviously not having Dave Montgomery hurts. I don't know what happened to Allen Robinson this year. I mean, he he just went from one of the best receivers in football to he 
just isn't good. And I don't know if that's because of the quarterback. I don't know if that's because of the head coach. I really do think Matt Nagy holds this team back. And Justin Fields is the lowest completion percentage and the lowest pass yards per game in the league since becoming a starter. And Justin Fields is too good for that. I thought Justin Fields was going to elevate this team to the playoffs. But if we're going to be honest, and I, I think of all these like teams, I guess we can call them the group of five, you know, the Vikings, the, the Bears, the Panthers, you know, maybe Philadelphia's in that mix. I don't think so. But overall, I think the Vikings are going to end up, you know, probably finishing like nine and eight. One more you're going to put in the list because the uh, standings say you have to. They're kind of out of sight, out of mind. They were one of the teams on the bye last week. So you kind of forget about them. The Saints are three and two. Yeah, yeah obviously the Saints too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a Jameis guy. Uh, he's been okay. He's kind of been Jameis and that it's good weeks, bad weeks. It's just the, the bad weeks haven't been as horrendous as they were in Tampa before he got out. Of there. He hasn't had any four interception games, which he did when he was down in Tampa. Uh, but I just don't know if the upside's good enough for uh, Jameis to lead this team to the playoffs. You think they're a playoff team? The Eagle, and the Eagles have the Saints on the sked, uh, so they'll have something to say about whether the Saints make the playoffs this year. You think of them in that light? Yeah, so this is what upsets me about the Saints. They should be 4-1 and one right now. I don't know how they lost that Giants team, but that just changed my whole outlook on them because I was looking at Jameis' numbers game by game, and I'm like, okay, he's had four. He had one really good game, three decent to good games, and a bad game. And that was week two against Carolina. And I think Carolina – I mean, this Saints team, you can make the argument they could be undefeated right now. But, you know, they Carolina beat them pretty good. And the Giants came back on them. So I think they are exactly what the record says they are. They're 3-2. and two. I think they can obviously sneak in there. They still got to play Tampa. You know, so that's going to be a hindrance. They got to beat Carolina again. Um, this is what makes the NFC so unpredictable for me. The NFC West is the best division in football, but Seattle looks like they're going to go on tailspin now that they don't have Russ. The NFC North, I think, stinks. I, I really do. Even though they have two, three, and three teams, I think they stink. Um, you know, it's Green Bay and the NFC East isn't good, and I don't know what to make of the South. So, I guess it's going to go into these interdivision schedules and who plays who, and that's going to come out of it. But I think the Saints got really focused on Alvin Kamara more. I think one of these receivers, either Marcus Callaway or Deontay Harris, one of them's got to step up here. And the Saints' defense, I think, is pretty good. But again, then they let, you know, after Malcolm Jenkins says we want to be known as the defensive team, we want that defensive identity, you will let 14 points to the Giants go in the fourth quarter so, in overtime. So, yeah, I think they eventually, I, I do think if I had to pick the two teams right now, Jody, I think it would be the Vikings and the Saints to be the, that 6 7 seed in the end. I, I didn't think it was going to be the case, but I do like the Saints better than the Vikings. I didn't think either one of those teams made the playoffs, and we need to see about the NFC West. San Francisco also on the bye week, another one of those out of sight, out of mind teams. I still think of them as a playoff team, but the one that I had as a playoff team, which I'm really worried about, is Seattle. Uh, sorry. And I know Geno Smith. I got screwed. I was uh, five for five on my picks last week, and I had the Steelers to go six for six and hit my 16, 16 bar like I can't believe they blew a 14-0 lead at half. I know they won the game, but they blew the lead, and Geno Smith actually moved the ball. Geno Smith can't play. What the hell, Steelers defense? 
yeah, I think the uh, Seahawks are severely compromised because of Russell Wilson's injury. All right, we'll come back. We need to put a bow on the show. He's Jeff Kerr. I'm Jody McDonald. Let's wrap up Birds 365. comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. John Doherty, business manager of Local 98, says it this way. The best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Two last things before I let you go for the day here, JK. Number one, um, know that uh, we still got a couple days before the game is played, and I give you the right to reserve your right to uh, change your pick between now and Sunday on Twitter. Follow uh, Jeff on Twitter, please, uh, where he does make his predictions. Which way are you going in the game on Sunday, Eagles or Raiders? 
You know, I'm six and zero. I'm really going out of limb here with this one, but I actually think the Eagles will pull this one off. This Ooh, a little bit of an upset special from Jeff Kerr. That's at Jeff Kerr CBS. If you do want to follow Mr. Kerr on Twitter. All right, one other uh, thing I absolutely positively need your input on. If Doc Rivers and/or Daryl Morey called you and said, "Jeff, we've got we've got an assignment for you. We need you to babysit Ben Simmons." We need you to make sure that he gets to the gym and he's trying to improve that free throw percentage. And yeah, he's getting up 200 threes every single day. We don't really want him in practice. We haven't given up on him. We haven't been able to trade him and we don't want him just going off the deep end. So your job is to babysit and make sure he gets to the gym to continue to improve like he does out in that high school gym in LA. Find a good high school gym here in the Delaware Valley. Would you be willing to babysit Ben Simmons? I would be willing to babysit him. Um, you know what? Seth Wickersham's quote hit me really hard with Ben Simmons right there because he is definitely embracing his inner a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I got to tell you, I've never seen anything like it. Any story I've read on this guy, the, the whole Jamie Apodi getting the huddle thing, I'm like, that that's brilliant. He's so disengaged right now. It's I mean, for all we know, he could actually be working on his jump shot and his three throws for his next team. But I'd be the guy watching him. And I'll tell you one thing I'd watch him with. Keep away from that LeBron James representation uh, of Rich Paul because I'm sorry. That guy only looks out for one person, one person only, and that's LeBron James. He, he should not be representing basketball players outside of LeBron. He has been able to spin off his relationship with LeBron James into other key clients. And the fact that it seems, I don't know this, but it seems like they didn't know how much money they were actually going to lose if Ben decided to stay home. That's kind of your job, Mr. Agent. You're supposed to know all those things. And if you don't know, yes, you're supposed to ask the team, how are you going to handle this going forward? Are you going to really pick my guy's pocket? Yeah, the 76ers would have told you yes, but apparently he never even asked. So we'll see if Ben Simmons, we know he's not going to be a sixer, but will he stay with uh, Clutch going forward? I am hoping he's there Friday, Jody. I will be at the game. I've been saving my, saving my voice for his for my booing of him every time he touches basketball, but he will not be playing Friday. There's no one. Not happening. I'll give you – here's the percentage breakdown. Percentage breakdown he plays on Friday, 5% max. I can't go 100%, no, but about a 5%. Chance he ever plays for the Sixers again, I'd say more like – 33%, one-third as compared to 66 against. I hope 66 against wins. I never want to see him in a Sixer uniform again. I'll absolutely pass on booing Ben Simmons. Uh, we'll get a chance. At some point, he's going to come back with another NBA team. But I don't need to boo him in a Sixer uniform. I don't ever want to see him in a Sixer uniform. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I just don't want him around. I didn't want him coming back. I'm like, look, just stay out there. Stay in L.A. Stop firing this team. I'm so glad Joel Embiid is over this. He's done. He's really established himself as a leader with this franchise right now. And I'm glad they're finally, finally, after all these years, not building around Ben Simmons, building around him. That's why I have a lot of confidence that I think this team, not exactly they could be the number one seed in the East again, but I think they're going to be a lot better than people think. It's not Joel Embiid's job to babysit Ben Simmons, but we may ask Jeff Carr to do the de deal. Uh, sometime between now and next week. Uh, JK, thanks for hopping in with us, uh, filling the void again today. Did a great job. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon enough, bud. Yep. Always a pleasure coming on, Jody.
No, my pleasure. When Jeff Kirk uh, hops on with me, Johnny Mac will rejoin me tomorrow. Birds 365 is just 22 hours away. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.